Welcome to the Microbials Matter podcast, where microbials matter. We welcome our host, Dr. William Zimmer, veterinarian and founder of BioVet. Dr. Zimmer has dedicated over 30 years to researching and developing products that support digestion and overall health in livestock. Well, everybody, welcome back to another edition of Microbials Matter, because again, microbials, they matter, they matter. Changing things up yet again in the studio today, but this time with a familiar face. We're welcoming back Dr. Haas. He was with us, gosh, probably four or five episodes ago now, Mm -hmm. but uh, bringing you back in because I understand that your role has kind of changed a little bit since we talked last. So bring us up to speed, Dr. Haas. What's going on in your world? What are you doing now? Sure. Nice to see you again, Liz. So Yeah. yeah, in the past two months, I've I've changed directions a little bit. So I was working for a position in the state, state of Wisconsin, up until about August. And then I took on a full-time role here at BioVet. So now I'm the new Applied Research and Technical Services Director for BioVet. And I guess this is now my second full month, starting my second full month working with the company. I worked with BioVet for about three, four years prior mm-hmm. to that, just yeah. kind of on a part-time basis for some projects, particularly face. with some product development. So Definitely not a new company for me, but um, my role has definitely expanded and changed. So, I mean, you said a lot of words there in your title. Give us give us the ten thousand foot version of what what yeah. applied research sure. director so, is. So, what I do is um, the majority of my work is going to be on, on helping with new developments with Dr. Zimmer, new developments of products for BioVets catalog, and then also going out into the field and educating individuals on. The, the technical details behind those products. So talking to farmers, talking to sales representatives, talking to distributors, doing podcasts, kind of using that expertise. I did have about 10 years in academia teaching at colleges and universities here in Madison. And so this is something I enjoy doing and communicating with shareholders in, in the agricultural field is what I've been doing for the last 15 years. So it's really your niche. It is. It is. I'll, you know, probably be moving a little bit more into some of the developmental stages with some of our products, and that's what my role has been for the last five years or so, or you know, four years from BioVet, anyways. Well, what a perfect blend of your talents, of your previous roles. I mean, Calside Manor, you're practicing vets, have taught it, have researched it, have developed it, and now you get to put that all into this awesome yeah. opportunity to to really kind of just just educate and, and consult really to yep. all sorts of people, not just maybe herd managers, but, you know, within BioVet and, and farmers and producers across the nation. And I got to tell you, Dr. Haas, we both know that after this growing season, they're probably going to be looking for some solutions. I mean, it doesn't matter as we were talking a minute ago, east, west, north, mm-hmm. south, the growing season for 2023 just was very difficult was all over the board and it, and it really was a flip-flop from what we saw last year mm-hmm. too if you think about it last year in the in the west and in the south particularly in the southwest um was was a very dry hot season for mm-hmm. them not so much for us and we kind of flip-flopped that a little bit this year if you remember i was down in tucson arizona back in february and yeah they had a cold front come through and there was a blizzard warning for southern california and they had unprecedented rains in california this year we were the opposite. We were dry for most of the yeah, year. Yeah, the Midwest, in fact, East. The statistics, was... yeah, in the East, the statistics will tell you that this is one of the driest years, up to midsummer, one of the driest years that we've really had, actually setting records. We had the, in the Midwest at least, we had 
the third driest year since the year 1900. 1910 and 1988 were drier than us oh, gosh. Um, for May and June. So, yeah, it was, what that tells you is that the crop profiles are all over the board, depending even, on where you're at. Even within fields. Exactly. Yep. I was on fields. I was on farmer's properties this summer that had wonderful looking corn and five miles down the road, it was, it was horrible. So even you're talking about just little pockets here and there. I think in the east, I was reading a report late last week that the east had the most variability that they've ever mm-hmm. had as far as precipitation mixed in with drought uh, or heat uh, conditions in those areas. So, I mean, even the best crop managers will tell you at the end of the day, it's all still weather dependent and, you know, kind of shifting away from maybe the parts you can't control the weather. Talk to me a little bit about how that much inconsistency in a product or in a feed stuff, you know, how can that affect just really even the storage and the packing? Mm -hmm. I mean, we also here in the Midwest saw a lot of rainfall during trying to harvest and Mm -hmm. get things packed. So give me a snapshot of how, even for the weather and and how volatile the feedstuffs are, but, you know, how that even played into the harvest and then, you know, the storage situation people are looking at for the next 12 months. Sure. And those are the two big keys. You know, when I talk from a veterinarian standpoint, we we like consistency. Oh, Um, sure. Consistency is what we, what we thrive on. And that isn't just in the cow or, or pig or horse. It's also in the fields. So, uh, when you're talking about the harvest, um, there are things that we can control. Obviously, we can't control these environmental, what we call environmental catast- catastrophes. No, we can't control climate. No, nope, but we can We can control harvest dates. We can control the, the mm-hmm. way that we harvest as well. So a good example would be, I mean, in these drought populations, nitrate levels pop up high in yes. corn. And that becomes a really problematic situation once you start feeding those mm-hmm. those products. So one thing we can do is we can actually adjust our harvest of the corn. So corn... Nitrates tend to concentrate down in that lowest part of the corn stalk. And so where we typically may harvest that corn, if we're going to ensile that and make silage out of it, you know, four inches, six inches off the ground, oftentimes the recommendation is let's pop that up to about a let's, foot or so. Yeah, raise it up. Yeah. The problem we run into there is our yields obviously mm-hmm. go down. But then we, you know, there's always a, a point counterpoint here. We have to keep the animals healthy, but we have to provide them with the feed that they need. So that's one thing that we can do. Moisture is extremely, extremely important for yeah. corn. Yeah. With alfalfa, uh, maturity becomes more important. Yeah. And, and making hay and haylage, that's a, that's a really a, a timing-sensitive type process where if we can get those, those plants harvested when they're at peak maturity but not mm-hmm. overly mature, Digestibility goes down. Yeah, as we don't we want that lignin stuff. Exactly, just exactly. Doesn't do much for our cows. Yep, and we see we see big differences there too, based on where we're at in, in the country. So if it's a drought, it's a hot and, and drought type condition, we're going to have some stemmier alfalfa. Where you talked about lignin that decreases digestibility. Mm-hmm. If we're in areas where it's a little bit rainier, we may not see that same profile. So right. it's always balancing with what we say in, in the business, at least the leaf to stem ratio to try to determine that we have enough of the carbohydrates that are there. For- I mean, it's challenging any year, but, you know, given a year where the weather was so crazy, it's just. Yeah, it's all over the board. And 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 it's the only thing that's consistent is inconsistency in the crops throughout the country. For this year, yeah. We, we also always have to consider, too, that just because we're in a particular region doesn't mean that's where our crops are coming from to feed our animals. So, yes, we're in the upper Midwest here, but a lot of our forages do come out from states that are in the West. Mm -hmm. And so their growth conditions in the Dakotas, for instance, are particularly challenging this year and and way different than what we've had in Wisconsin. So it's not, we're not in a vacuum. This is a, a really a universal type 
field. Mm-hmm. So we can't just really focus on what's happening in our backyards, but also what's happening out, out west, out south, and out east. Right. And it's not, you know, it, it, like we just alluded to, everybody was affected this year. It's not like we had pockets of weather or climate um, hiccups. It was it was everywhere. Exactly. So now that we know, you know, there's always that trick and, and uh, we know we're a little bit where, where this is going. Tell me the story of what, maybe what you've seen, maybe what you anticipate seeing as people start to pull samples, start to get some data on what we got, maybe in the silo, maybe in the bag, maybe on the pad. What do you think that profile is going to look like? Or what have you seen, if you've seen anything so far? Sure. So it's pretty early. And Liz, you brought up a great point. And and feed analysis is really the key. Mm -hmm. So as a veterinarian, we aren't classified as nutritionists, although we all have to have a little nutrition background. It's a team effort. Yeah, exactly. But we don't know what we can actually do to try to address the situation if we don't have that data. Correct. So yep. one, one thing that I always, having variable feeds has been around as long as people have been farming. Just sure. the fields are larger and, and, and every now and then we have to kind of sequester some of those feeds into certain classifications of cattle that we're feeding. So for instance, if we do have a little bit poorer quality feed, which we're anticipating this year, there are some production classes on a farm that we can feed those to. Growing heifers, for instance. That's a little bit different than an animal that's maybe uh, in early gestation. So she's carrying a, a very young calf at that point. That's a very precarious position for her to be in right. if she was to get something that had to happen, that happened to have some mold or mycotoxins or even some of the nitrates that we're talking about. The risk about. is increased, yeah. Exactly. Or if you have, you know, sometimes we'll have some, some animals that maybe are at the end of their lifespan on the herd, some coal cows or, or destined to be or late lactation cows that... What we can do oftentimes is is mix in some better feeds. Dilute it out a little bit. Exactly, to dilute out the problems. One thing that we've really been stressing this year, it's a little late right now to talk about it because a lot of the ensiling process has been completed or started, I should say, but not they're in the bunks, they're in the silos right now, is to add some of our our silage inoculants to those products. These inoculants, they're basically, what they're, what they're doing is they're providing those beneficial microbes that go through that fermentation process, particularly in feeds that are of lower quality. Mm-hmm. Um, high quality feeds oftentimes have a good profile to actually go through that, that pH change on their own with the natural microbes. Right. There's not as much competition. Right. There's not as much pathogenic potential that's mm-hmm. there. But when you have poorer quality feeds, oftentimes inoculating those feeds with basically giving them a head start. Right. What we're doing is we're, we're adding the fermentative bacteria to them to try to outcompete any of the nasties that could pop up. Right. And what that does is that, well, the goal there at least is to have the ability to raise that nutrient profile to, to get those pHs down to that 4.5 level that we really want them to mm-hmm. be so that they're ready to go once we feed those. Moisture is another thing that we have to talk about. Yeah, it is. So too much moisture is not great. Too little moisture is just as problematic. And so oftentimes adjusting the moisture or it really, you know, takes a a little bit of prognostication while they're getting ready to go and harvest those feeds to determine where that moisture level is. One of the problems we run into with too dry of feeds is we can't pack those very tightly. No. And probably the most important thing is, is air pockets. Oxygen exclusion is the key to making ensiled feeds. Right, anaerobic environment. Exactly. We need that. Exactly. And it doesn't matter what type of fermentation you're doing. If you're making beer, you're making silage, what you do is you go through that very first stage where you basically scavenge out all the oxygen. So what you can envision is too dry of feeds, has air pockets in them. They don't pack down and compact that the way they need to. And so we keep that aerobic environment 
which fungi really like and Ugh. some nasty bacteria really like, but not the fermentative bacteria that we want. Those bacteria like an anaerobic environment. So, I mean, as you alluded to, obviously testing is going to be super important moving forward this year. I love that you touched on, you know, this microbial thing. Um, it's not just we talk a lot about, you know, rumen of the dairy cows, but gosh, you know, it's, it's, it even is affecting in their feedstuffs and then in siling. Mm-hmm. And yes. that's why we say microbials matter. You know, so there's, there's just going to be a whirlwind of things as people, you, like you said, probably past uh, the time for inoculation, you would have done that when you were, you know, packing and, and um, kind of closing that stuff up. But, you know, we've heard the nitrate story. We've heard that there's might be some mycotoxins, might be some fungus. There's just going to be a whole host of things as you move through that feed pack during the year here. How much change or, or you know, kind of influx in nutrients, maybe in the past, maybe can't speak to it this year, but in the past, have you even seen within maybe one particular bag or one particular silo? And, you know, more importantly, what's going to be the game changer in the end as we move through what's what's sure to be very different profiles and just you just don't know where I mean, it rained partway through, at least in the upper Midwest. So you may have part of your silage pack maybe dry or a little too dry. Some might be a little too wet now. You know, so talk us through, like, again, what you've maybe kind of seen in the past is just how much diversity can be in one pack. And then, you know, what's going to be the step here to save us or, or to help kind of manage Sure, sure. How different all that's going to be. So, so one of the things that we're seeing now, and this is this is really a consequence of you know where we're at in, in agriculture is um, you know we we've gone to a lot of the horizontal bags mm-hmm. that are, are quite a bit smaller than what you you saw when you had you know harvesters or large upright yeah. silos. Obviously, larger farms are going to deal more with feed bunks, which will have a lot more right. different harvests that are thrown in there. So. One thing I can tell you as a practicing vet is one of the main problems that we ran into was was moving from like one bag to the next. Oh, yeah. And so I would, you know, go out to the farms and, and talk to the producers and they'd have all sorts of problems pop up and chase every infectious potential. We'd chase some metabolic mm-hmm. issues that usually was ended up being what the problem was. Um, reproductive issues are huge. And after, you know, going through all of the kind of uh, unicorns in the pack, Mm -hmm. the one horse that was always there was, well, we just changed a bag last week, you know, and we didn't even really think about it. That was an issue. It was from the same, maybe even from the same harvest. We just moved into a different bag. Maybe even the same day and they switched bags. Exactly. And so something, something happened there. So one thing that I, you know, talk with my producers all the time is that variability does occur. We know that occurs. How can we manage it? And we know we're going to see that coming up too. So one thing that we do, and as a company, BioVet's real claim to fame is, is we try to, to make an exceptional rumen microbiology, microbiological environment by basically supplementing in the beneficial microbes through our mm-hmm. products so that they are more capable of weathering those changes in feeds. So it, it's going to be tough to say you're not going to, as you mentioned, you're not going to have variability. So how do we manage it when it occurs? Right, yeah. And, and if, if cattle... You know, we're, we're all healthy and, and, and running top notch. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. And to tell you the truth, right. we wouldn't have a company. But but we know that the variability of, of these feeds is really one of the big, big stumbling blocks with us. So we're extremely big promoters of the microbiology of the rumen and of mm-hmm. the gastrointestinal tract. So not just the rumen, but also the intestine. As we've learned in some other episodes, that, exactly. that small intestine really 
clutch in exactly. those first 30, 60 days for calves. So, and not that we're feeding silage to calves, of course. No, nope, no. Nope. But, but getting getting everything going, together. right? It's, yep. it's it's all a transition period of time. And so you're moving from that neonatal calf on milk all the way to that cow on, uh, you know, full feed that's milking and delivering calves. We have to make sure that we, we get started on a good pathway there. One thing is just keeping the gut going. So when I, when I deal with cattle that have metabolic issues, one of the hallmark signs of that is their rumen just is not functioning. Right. And it's for a myriad of different reasons, but primarily of which the microbes that are present in the rumen aren't the ideal microbes for that cow in that environment to digest mm-hmm. the feed. One thing we always say is we're never feeding the cow, right? We're feeding, we're the, feeding microbes the microbes that are inside the cow. And if Dr. Zimmer was here, he'd tell us it's a it's a battle for Who's, who has who has the numbers. Exactly, right? exactly. So, so if 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 you have a, a rumen that's not functioning correctly, and now we're feeding maybe silage that isn't uh, ideal, or maybe it has a potential load, a bacteria or a fungal load or a pathogenic load of. And I don't even want to say just pathogens, but there are a lot of organisms out there that just aren't ideal for a dairy cow, for today's modern no, dairy cow. right. And so it's, it's a competition. And what you need mm-hmm. to do is, is be the first there in numbers that are effective. And, and that's what we really stress. Our products are in high quantity and the highest quality that you can possibly have so that we can outcompete any of those potential invaders, if you want to say that, because those profiles can change, as you've talked about right, in yeah. past podcasts with acidosis and, and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Changing the environment of the rumen changes the microbial population of the rumen, oftentimes to the detriment of the host, which is the cow. And that affects everything, as we've learned from the joints to the hooves, to the milk production, to reproduction. I mean, to kind of go down this rabbit hole, I guess, a little farther, you know, you like to think you're going to visually see some of the feedstuffs that you shouldn't, that you got to eliminate. And maybe that's the case, but microbials don't live forever either. So you can't just necessarily like shock the system and have it kind of jumpstart, so to speak, and then maintain itself. And especially as we change, you know, as you alluded to changing bags, changing silos, whatever, you know, walk us through a little bit, like maybe what uh, a, a potential protocol could be or sure. what maybe you might want to see if, you, if you're trying to feed maybe some some direct fed microbials to kind of help navigate these these changes in the feed stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah, and you're and just just to go back a little bit, what you were saying, too, you're exactly right is is spoiled feed is pretty easy to identify. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the color change that occurs, the smell that occurs and oftentimes cattle somewhat reject it. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So there'll be a lot more refusals that are there. And one of the harder things that we have to do is try to determine when there is a problem. Because a lot of times it's a lagging indicator. These animals yeah. maybe were being fed feed that was was not necessarily optimal for a month. And then you start seeing the metabolic mm-hmm. issues that occur. And so by then, we don't have very good options for treatments. And so in, in our business at BioVet, we, we don't use the term treatment. Um, we yeah. use prevention and support. Right. Because... Once you once you're into a a bag of feed, and if that bag of feed isn't what you want it to be, oftentimes that's a little bit too late because you've been feeding it for a while. Right. And so um, that's where we really stress, you know, based on your individual operation, the use of the direct fed microbial products that that we supply. So our generator products, for instance, we have Generator Elite and Ultra and E and D, and uh, so we have a, a and, and a couple different formulations of of each of those. They're really seeding that that microbial system inside that exists inside the cow to anticipate those types of problems. And you'll see that on our label. It's used for a lot of different indications, high-producing dairy cows, maybe cows that are long Mm -hmm. on milk and and need that little bit of of extra oomph. 
transition cows or cows that get moved in. But we also have cows that are potentially not eating the highest quality silage that's right. there. And be- because of that, you're exactly right. Microbes don't live very long. I mean, you're talking some microbes only live matters of, of minutes to hours, some mm-hmm. maybe a couple of days, but their generation time is so short because they do have to continually replenish. We, we don't just give, let's say, a shot for these type of things. We, yeah. we don't just give one dose of a direct fed microbial and expect that to to seed the Cure entire the... gastrointestinal yes. tract, right? And so it's really trying to anticipate those problems early on. And so, again, that's why a lot of our protocols will tell you, okay, we start the administration of this maybe at dry off or, or maybe, you know, a month prior to freshening. So a month after dry off, you'll start adding some of our DFMs in. And the recommendation is, you know, to continue feeding those through that period of high risk. That, that's kind of our base protocol. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, if we were going to use a product like, like our Generator Elite, give that product maybe two weeks prior to freshening is a typical protocol for, for certain farms. And then after she has her calf, we'll say, okay, and, and then a good, you know, at least a week, if not through that first month after freshening. High what stress, that does, yeah. Exactly. It's high stress. You know, in certain situations on certain farms, uh, it's an economical choice for them too, even though, you know, we have lots of tools in our, in our battery for treating cattle and, and other production animals. Yep. Some of them just aren't economically feasible. And so individual mm-hmm. farms may say, you know, I can, I can, you know, maybe stomach this during the period of high stress. So that transition period up through that first month. But, you know, I, I just don't necessarily know in my situation if I'm going to see that same right. benefit later yeah. on. And that's completely valid. And, and as, as many ways to dairy farm as there are dairy farmers. 100%. We've, we've talked about 100%. that. 100%. Yeah. Um, we do know that we have good evidence from farms that, that do use these products all the time, even up through, you know, drying those animals off, that they see uh, better results for milk production during that year, overall health of those animals. And one thing that we see as well is a reproductive benefit. Yeah, it's a big one. And, and, and that is, for me at least, from my history, one of the things that we see more often when we have poor quality feeds is reproductive problems. And so we, we do have good evidence from farms that we've done some longer-term trials on that their cyclicity actually tends to increase, even without the use of exogenous hormones, which is great. So if we can keep that reproductive health going... I mean, right there, there could be a cost-benefit savings. You're not putting them headlocks. You're not tracking them down for the shots. You're not, if you're just mixing in a DFM, perhaps, daily. You know, not to to get too off track here, but we know BioVet is exceptional in the fact that they have, as we talked about in other podcasts, they have dozens and dozens of products to meet a variety of needs. I'm a farmer, and I'm nervous about this year, and I haven't done much in the microbial world before. You know, where might I start just knowing what we know about what might be sure. in our feedstuffs for the next, you know, six, eight, 12 months? Sure. And if knowing that, you know, the milk price is also probably as volatile as our feedstuffs right now, you know, knowing I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of a, a cost analysis here, but if they did nothing else, where might where might a dairy producer start with their dairy herd? Sure. So so going back to our to our generator products, that's typically mm-hmm. what what our first recommendation is going to be for that, because, again, that's not something that we like to throw into the mix as as quote unquote a treatment. Um, it's something that is intended to be fed and it's economically based. Our formulations are intended to be fed for long periods of time. Really what it's doing is is smoothing out those bumps. So if we have, you know, the, the bad feed or the bad weather condition that mm-hmm. comes up, 
maybe we have new milkers that are coming in and, and there's always a transition period of time there too before your, your labor can really get on board. That's the type of product that we would recommend to be giving to these animals consistently. And, and again, it, it sometimes can be a hard sell to say this is something we need to incorporate all the time, but the individuals that do it are really reluctant to take it out of their ration after that point of time. One thing you're talking about, you know, even going mm-hmm. down the line here too, I hate to say it, the next harvest isn't that far away. We're talking a year away, right? And so... Um, I mean, you're going to start making decisions already. Exactly. This spring and something that, you know... Uh, that's been talked a little bit about here is just how, you know, the lack of rainfall is still impacting the soil profile, yes. even for yep. growing into the next 2024 growing season. So, you know, yep. there's, there's a lot of question marks on the table for sure. Exactly. And particularly if you're talking about, about alfalfa, about mm-hmm. hay, which we're going to obviously harvest that a lot earlier than we're going to do, you know, corn or some of the other products as well. So we have two products called Ferminator, and those are our, those are our silage inoculants. One thing we do at BioVet really well, and it's one thing that really brought me into the company too, is we really have the farmer in mind when we develop our products. Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of, like I mentioned our generator family, right? We have a lot of these different kind of derivations of the generator products. Some of those because some individual farmers, you know, don't want to use this product. They want it tweaked a little bit. So we, yep. we've done that for them. Yeah. Well, we do this a lot of times too for our others and, and the Ferminator products are no different. So we have a water-soluble form of mm-hmm. the Ferminator. We also have a dry granular form. And so let's say that you have less than optimal moisture. Let's say you're a little less than that 70% mm-hmm. that we want to be at or 65%. Then oftentimes we'll use the uh, water-soluble formulation there too. So we can mix it with water, add it to the feed as we're processing it and packing it down. Adds a little bit of moisture to it and then obviously adds the right. beneficial microbes. Yeah. If it's great as far as moisture goes, then we can use the dry granular form and that works just fine too. Another thing in there too, I'd be mistaken if I didn't mention it, is there are also some fungal enzymes that are present mm-hmm. to help break down some of those structural carbohydrates that aren't so easy for these bacteria to utilize to make the lactic acid that they need to to get the pH down. And our Ferminator products have those as well. So that's something that, you know, as you're starting to look at, at your budgets for the next year and starting to mm-hmm. think, you know, I didn't have a great year this year. I didn't have a, a, as good of feed as I want, right? It looks like I might not have as good of feed as I want. What can I do differently? That's something that I think we're always a little bit, you know, six months ahead kind of looking yeah. and, and yeah. forecasting what we can do next year to make things a little bit better. So really, I mean, it's a, it's a microbial story from, quite frankly, the fields to to the mixer, to the cow, to the calf. It, it, it um, is. And our company our company started, you know, year, decades ago. That's right, um, yeah. Looking at, at agronomy. I mean, looking at the, the microbial population that are in the fields to try to, you know, minimize maybe the, the potential usage of, of certain chemicals if we didn't need to and just to get a better, healthier crop. And so that's where, where BioVet comes into place. That's why microbials are our claim to fame here mm-hmm. is because it's really the genesis of this company was looking at, field health from a microbial standpoint. And then just taking that story all the way through. So as we've done in the past, we're not going to obviously get away from this. This is one of our favorite parts of the whole podcast show is <laughs> time for our elevator pitch. Sure. So, you know, we've we've covered what we what we anticipate we're going to be seeing in the feed profiles and as the analysis start rolling in we've covered you know what might be some options and how we might be able to support animals through these these areas of fluctuation but you know what's what's the take home here what's the number one thing if nothing else you know what's the number one thing people should keep in mind kind of as they do their feed analysis sure. and looking at the next uh few quarters for for milk and cows sure so primarily of which is is this year 
this year looked to be a catastrophe if you looked at the early spring when you looked at the, the differences in, it, in, it did. in climatic conditions that we had throughout the United States. Things did switch a little bit as we moved on. Um, we got a little bit of needed rainfall, especially yeah. during the reproductive stages in, in the Midwest and in July or so. And so I, I think that the biggest key here is that weather fluctuations are, are not going away. They're always going to happen. Exactly. Yeah. They, they have, you know, in the past, but we know from agronomists, we know from agricultural economists, we know from climatologists and weather forecasters um, that we can anticipate this is probably not going to get better. It's probably going to get more severe and, and wider fluctuations that are here. So being able to manage those is really the most important thing. Sure. From BioVet's standpoint, our job is to enhance the microbial environment in cattle so that they can smooth out those bumps along the way. And so um, I guess, you know, the, the real take home here is we're here to help our farmers. We want the health of the cow to be the, the priority. And mm-hmm. by allowing that gastrointestinal and ruminal microbial population to weather those storms when the feed isn't optimal makes our farmers more profitable, keeps our animals healthier. And so I think that at the end of the day, being prepared for next year and five years down the road and 10 years down the road, and for that new generation of farmers that are coming up the pike as well, where maybe environmentally their conditions are going to look a lot different than their parents and grandparents and great grandparents. Yeah, the technology even for for crop genetics and Harvesting and storage changes exactly. almost as rapidly. Exactly, and so having giving them the tools to be able to anticipate what they need to do in order to, you know, manage those fluctuations. That's the key, and, and that's what we really strive to do for our producers. And again, it's not just a matter of um, you know all all players have a role on the farm: the nutritionist, the veterinarian. It's just again, it's it's kind of bringing that support element in. Yep. Just, you know, knowing that there's probably not as many options in the feed stuff situation this time around. Not as many. And I think what you're seeing, too, with with consolidations of farms and larger herds, mm-hmm. which is inevitable and it's going to continue to happen. Yep. Having that team in place where you don't have, you know, there there's a there's a history of maybe veterinarians and nutritionists not communicating very well and agronomists kind of being separate from everyone else. Right. And to tell you the truth, I give agronomists a lot of credit there, there's a lot of evidence that 10 years ago, if we would have had the same weather conditions that we had this year back then, that it would have been even worse off than it, what it is. It had been very detrimental. Exactly. Yeah. So our, our genetics, as you mentioned, and our professionals that are able to really, really help in early stages and, and target those fields, mm-hmm. um, that has really helped a lot. And it's made our jobs a little bit easier. And it's also taken them, brought them to the table with us as well so that we can have these conversations. Yeah. So, I mean, as you move forward, folks, and and you get your feed analysis, you know, we'd we'd love to hear from you. Obviously, you can reach out on BioVet's Facebook page or on their website, bio-vet.com. And, you know, we're always interested to see what farmers are seeing in their bunkers, bags, and silos as the process kind of finishes up and they start to feed out what they've harvested for this year. Um, Otherwise, stay tuned. We have more on deck with our next episode, uh, probably with Dr. Haas again. He's probably, I I believe, our reoccurring... probably expert on this show is is dr zimmer's out fishing or i'm not sure but (laughs) if you have me back i'm happy to come back yes yes but still the story of microbes continues to grow and and we're learning more and more every time we we crack on the mic so stay tuned and we'll see you in the next episode to learn more about microbials check out our other podcast episodes 
or read more at bio-vet.com.